0: We're not going to go back to what we had before. We're not going to stay the way we are now. So what is, what are things going to look like in six months or 12 months? And we can all make some guesses and some of them will be better than others. But no one really knows. But everybody knows they've got to be able to adapt.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people
2: Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Why should SMB companies be investing in technology during the downturns such as COVID? What could be some of the low-hanging fruits for executives to consider during the downturn? Why investing in technology is a wise idea during the downturn? These are some of the questions you will have if you are managing a business during COVID. In today's episode, we have our guest, Laurie McCabe, who discusses how technology can help struggling businesses be more efficient during downturns. She also touches on different technology trends and ERP ecosystems, how they have evolved, and what changes you might expect in the future. Finally, she helps SMB business owners understand their technology options. Let me introduce Laurie to you. Laurie brings more than 25 years of experience in the IT industry to her current role as co-founder and partner SMB Group. Lori has built widespread recognition for her insights in the SMB technology market. Lori is a six-time Small Business Influencer Awards winner, has been recognized as one of the 50 most influential people in small business marketing by all business, and is a member of Dun & Bradstreet's B2B expert community. Laurie blogs, often at lauriemccabe.com, speaks regularly at industry events and has over 17,000 followers on Twitter. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Laurie, welcome to the show. Hey,
0: thanks for having me today,
2: Sam. It's my pleasure, Laurie. So just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, um, basically, right now, uh, what I am is the co-founder and partner of a company called SMB Group, and SMB Group we're an analyst and research company, and we really look at technology trends in the small and medium business space, and try to understand, you know, what what their um, challenges are, their goals are, and how they want to use technology to to help grow their businesses. And I've been an analyst and researcher for about 25 years now. And That's as a, a leader, time. we've been around uh, for 10 years. So, uh, you know, it's really our, our niche and uh, what we're passionate about.
2: Okay, amazing. So there's one question that we ask all of our guests, and that is going to be, Laurie, what is your perspective on business growth?
0: Well, business growth is somebody, something almost every business wants to do, probably every business. And matter of fact, we do surveys every year and we we ask small, medium businesses, "What, what are your top goals? And often growing the business is number one. You know, they're really oriented towards expanding. I mean, there are a few businesses that just kind of want to stay as is and they're happy with the status quo. But overall, most businesses want to grow. And of course, right now, we've been in a pretty challenging time with COVID and we know from surveys we've done over the last uh, few months that, you know, almost all businesses have been impacted by COVID. Now, some have actually grown during COVID, but the majority have, you know, seen revenues drop and obviously faced a lot of other problems that kind of get in the way of growth, such as social distancing and new safety requirements and guidelines and people working from home and yeah. Um. you know, things like that. So growth is always a top goal for every business, but it's been pretty challenging uh, for many right now.
2: Okay, so when you look at the downturn, what are some of the changes that you are seeing in the market in the mindset and their appetite for technology? When you talk to these customers, when you do their surveys?
0: Well, I think what's really happened is that the pandemic has kind of accelerated the shift to automate, right? So small and medium businesses have known for for a long time, or at least the majority have, that to really grow the business and be competitive and be relevant, they have to automate. Because if you can't automate, it's very tough to scale. And what's happened during the pandemic is that that's kind of gone on to steroids. And they've realized they have to not only automate, but digitize a lot of their business. So whether that's you know, moving tasks from, let's say, standalone spreadsheets to more central kind of applications where everybody can kind of see everything at the same time online, or it's doing more electronic transactions, more e-commerce, more digital payments, whatever these things are, people are, are realizing that there's no real time to wait, that with this pandemic the push to, digital, to digitize
2: has really accelerated. So it's a very interesting comment that you made about difference or distinction between automation and digitization. So how would you define the boundary between the automation and digitization?
0: Um, well, you know, it depends. I, I think for me, it's all about, can you both automate the process, right? And then create a digital output from that process. Okay. that you can then analyze and act on um, okay. and kind of remove a lot of the friction from the process. So, you know, for example, I mean, e-commerce is a great example. I mean, if you're taking all your orders online and you're fulfilling all your orders based on the, the what's coming into the system online, that whole process and, you know, your payment is processed online, you digitize that whole process. You've obviously automated it. But you've all, you're also now collecting all that information digitally, so then you can, you know, you can look at it, you can analyze it, and you can understand trends and things like that. So I guess that's kind of where I would distinguish it a little bit.
2: Okay, so the process of survey could be could be very exciting, right? And uh, I've done some surveys myself, and oftentimes we find that the insight that get we from surveys is always surprising. You know, we find a lot of surprises. So tell me a couple of stories that you found very surprising lately, especially during COVID. Did you did, mm-hmm. did you have any comments there that were like, okay, I just didn't know this and this is very compelling for me. So tell me some stories. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know if we had any surprises that, you know, rocked our world, so to speak. But, you know, one of the big The the most interesting things I thought was in every survey we do every year, we ask them about their top business challenges. And we have a list of about 10 or 12 different challenges. And every survey, one of the things they can tick off, you know, it might be growing revenues, attracting new customers, retaining existing customers, hiring employees, retaining employees, all these things. But one of the other things we always have on there is, um being sustaining my business through uncertainty or dealing with uncertainty and changing market conditions. Now, usually dealing with uncertainty is way down on the list. <laughs> it's okay. like number eight or nine or ten.
2: Is it pre-COVID? This Post-COVID.
0: Year, Post-COVID, it is one number one on both okay. the surveys we've done. So dealing with uncertainty has become the biggest issue for, and I don't think that's surprising when you think about it. But it's just amazing that this is something that's usually, yeah, there's some uncertainty always in the business climate. Now uncertainty is the the key word of the day. And everybody's trying to figure out, okay, well, I've adapted from when COVID hit to now, but we don't know what's going to come next. In other words, we're not going to go back to what we had before. We're not going to stay the way we are now. So what, is, what are things going to look like in six months or 12 months? And we can all make some guesses, and some of them will be better than others, but no one really knows. But everybody knows they've got to be able to adapt.
2: Okay, so let's make some guesses here. So tell me your perspective, because in my opinion, I guess, since you are sitting right there in the market, you are talking to so many different businesses, you are doing surveys, so you are the best predictor of the economy, of the SMB system market. So tell me what is going to be your best guess, Laurie?
0: Well, I think what what most companies do is they have to plan for different scenarios, okay? Because there's just too many elements that none of us have any control over. So, you know, speaking here in the US, obviously this virus is surging. We also have a vaccine. We also are short on vaccine supply. We also have distribution problems. We don't know about these new variants, how that's going to affect things. So when you try to, you know, none of us, not even, you know, the most brilliant people in the world know how that virus is actually going to play out. And obviously, the economic conditions and the business conditions are all going to revolve around that (laughs) to a large extent. So I think for most businesses, in terms of the economic outlook, unless you're selling PPE or all the supplies that might go with rolling out vaccines or something like that, you kind of realize that you've got to kind of prepare for, okay, kind of baseline business where I'm at today, growth in business, when hopefully the virus, you know, settles down and starts receding. But then what happens if there's a strain that's, you know, not that's resistant to the vaccine or something like that. So I I think you have to think about all those things. And the what that means is you have to be very agile and flexible. So number one, your workforce. You know, already we have a lot of people, of course, working at home and a lot of businesses thinking, well, how, how is this going to play out over the long term? And So one, one thing I can say with a lot of certainty is we're not going to go back to everybody being in a traditional office again. It's not going to happen. So think about how you can best accommodate a more flexible workforce. What kind of jobs have to be done on site? What kind of jobs can be done off site? How do you accommodate and equip your employees so they can be more productive in any of those environments? And that doesn't just mean, you know, giving them a laptop and Wi-Fi at home means a lot of other things, both at home and in the office. And even, even as far as the psychology of the employee, right, and the stress of the employee dealing with all of this uncertainty. So that's certainly a big one. You know, you've got to be continue to be prepared for new requirements. We just had a new administration come in. We're going to have already we've had some new mandates about masks and things like that. I think there's going to be more of that, you know, about maybe can you can you require your workers to get vaccines, different kinds of things like that. I think you should be thinking about cash reserves are essential. If you're not able to kind of manage your cash reserve so you can hang on through what your worst case scenario is, you know, you're in big trouble. So no, really no is where it's important to have a really good financial system. You've got to know how much cash you have, where you can get cash, what's liquid in your business. The new round of PPEP loans is coming out, but you really have to make sure you're doing that right. And then finally... We don't think that anybody's going to want to go back in time. So, again, the more you can do things through low-touch, no-touch kind of transactions, whether that's e-commerce, digital payments, virtual services that you provide instead of physical world services when that's possible, those are the kinds of things to think about. And, And one more thing I should have mentioned, the staffing volatility. You know, we've definitely seen small and medium businesses lay off, rehire, you yep. know, lay off employees, rehire employees, lay off contractors, bring back contractors. If you don't have a good way to manage that, especially again, there's regulations are probably going to be changing around taxes and healthcare and everything else in terms of the number of employees you have and, and a lot of other things. You're, you're going to find it just very difficult to manage. So you need to think about the fact that staffing volatility may continue for a while.
2: Okay, so I was having one conversation, you know, yesterday with my Bank of America counterpart, and uh, I find these reports extremely fascinating, especially done by these surveys. So we were actually discussing a topic which is related to manufacturing growth, and he was arguing that manufacturing is up overall with respect to COVID. In my opinion, when I talk to my customers, they all claim that their sales is 50% down. My manufacturing customers, so if I look at manufacturing CEOs, CFOs, they are claiming that their sales are 50% down. But the report is saying manufacturing overall is up. So what is your perspective on that?
0: Well, we don't really, we're not in the business of measuring industry sector sales or anything like that. I will say everything I've read is that because people can't do a lot of the experiential things they like to do and spend money on like travel and dining out and things like that. They are spending a lot more on things like their home, like Wayfair. I just heard today, their stock is up 30% year over year because they're selling all kinds of things to make your home more comfy. I yep. mean, Dell computers had a great year with PCs because people working at home, they, they want to have a good PC and monitor and, you know, equip their home office. So I, I do think that it's probably depends on what you're manufacturing. Uh, car sales are up. That's another thing that's way up. People don't want to be on mass transit. So I, I think it depends on what sector of manufacturing you're looking at. But I do think that a lot of the money that people may have been spending on some physical world kind of experiences and services is going into, you know, creature comforts, let's say.
2: Okay. So let's go back to your comment about dealing with uncertainty. So we are going to give you a new job today. Okay. So you are now the CFO of a manufacturing company and I'm your peer. I'm a CFO of a manufacturing company as well. And we are trying to deal with uncertainty. So we are going to take a scenario where my sales is 50% down. I don't care what report says, my sales is 50% down at this point of time, okay? So let's say if you want me to be ready for the uncertainty and you want to be ready for uncertainty as well, because you are a CFO yourself, congratulations, okay? (laughs) So tell me how you would prepare for uncertainty for next six months for your own business. Well, I
0: think the first thing, if your sales are down 50%, the first thing you have to do is is talk to your customers. And understand, okay, the whole psychology of customers is changing, whether it's B2B or B2C, what they want to buy is changing, how they want to buy is changing, where they want to buy is changing and who they want to buy from is changing. So are you either missing the mark with your product? Are you missing the mark with? The sales and marketing channels you're using, are you missing the mark in terms of maybe not even just tuning in to the psychology of the need for this kind of particular product in the right way? Is something lacking in the way you're servicing your product in this era? Do you, do you have ways to service a customer in a more virtual way once they buy your product? Should something go wrong with your product? So the first and most important thing is to really tap into what your customer is thinking and doing. And if they are taking their business elsewhere, finding out why, are they just not buying that product or is it something that you're doing around sales or service that's not hitting the mark? And then, you know, we saw in our survey, a lot of businesses, um, I think it was maybe about a third are either already have or are planning to add new products and services. So in a lot of cases, it's just what people want to buy is different. And, you know, we see a lot of companies creating a virtual service instead of a physical world service. I know that's not manufacturing, but you just have to, first of all, understand the customer and how that psychology is changing. Then the other thing is you have to execute. So once you find out, oh, they need this or they need that and I'm not doing this, like maybe your customer service, it's too you know, you, you, you're you not doing enough virtually, you should be doing more virtually to service them. Then you have to figure out how are you going to deploy something to do that better? Or if you're going to have to gear up manufacturing for something different. Um, I was talking to a company the other day that was making those CPAP machines.
2: Okay. <laughs> and, you know,
0: for the people that snore and they were like about a 10 million company. And when yep. COVID hit, it's not that the CPAP demand went away. They were fortunate people still snore but they realized they had this (laughs) big opportunity to convert part of their manufacturing to PPE. And they did that. And this year for 2020, their revenues jumped to 70 million from $10 million. So in that case, they just saw this opportunity. From 10 to 70?
2: Yes. Oh, that's massive.
0: It's massive. But that was kind of like, okay, we know things are shifting. We know there's usually not this kind of demand for this stuff, But we see that there's going to be a huge demand. So we're going to take this, this portion of our manufacturing facility and retool it to manufacture something else. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. And what, what we find in our surveys is that the companies, the SMBs that, and I'm sure it's the same in large companies, but the SMBs that kind of, Say what's changing, what's different, what do I need to do differently, what do people want that's different, and that makes some changes are generally going to fare better. Uh, if you just kind of try to stick to the status quo in a time of major upheaval, usually not a great formula.
2: Okay, so let's go back to this company a little bit. So, 10 to $70 million growth is massive, obviously, but that must be probably operational nightmare, in my opinion, in terms of fulfilling the demand, right? The growth is great, but manufacturing company is not like a service company or something like that because you still have to meet your demand. You have to create products, you have to ship it. And that's unmanageable growth, in my opinion. So what were their, let's say, the system, landscape, When they started, how did they retool? Do you have a little bit more background on that story?
0: Yeah, I really have a lot of background on that. It was just kind of a casual conversation on a webinar. But, you know, I do know that obviously they they did have to retool some of their, their manufacturing systems so that they could crank out a different kind of product. But they were, and I don't want to give promos for any particular ERP, but they were using a cloud-based ERP, and it was pretty easy to, you know, reconfigure it, and that enabled them to scale in terms of the operational part. They did have to hire more people, and it was challenging to hire people in to help with this new business that they were creating and then generating. I think that that the people part, because they did have their, a good technology solution in place, I think the people part was their biggest challenge, but luckily for them, they kind of caught this at the beginning when a lot of other people were like, oh my God, the sky is falling. I'm laying off. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. So I think because they were by April, yeah, we're doing this. They had a good a head start maybe on some other companies in terms of maybe tapping into some of those people who are getting laid off or worried about their
2: jobs. Okay. So typically we don't find, uh, you know, $10 million companies using cloud ERP. So obviously that probably made them significantly agile based on your previous comment about agility.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, you know, there there are,
0: I mean, there's definitely ERP systems out there for companies that aren't, you know, I mean, not at all companies that use ERP are using Oracle and SAP. Yep, there's definitely yep. a number of solutions that are more geared towards the mid-market and even lower end of the market so let's and they imagine. weren't
2: using Oracle or SAP. <laughs> of course, of course. And they were using, I mean, I don't care, you know, which brand they were using. The, the whole idea is they but there could... are Yeah,
0: but I mean, that's, that's a good myth buster right there. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of work. You can just Google ERP for SMB. And you'll come up with tens, if not hundreds, of different solutions you can check out.
2: Right. So, here with respect to cloud ERP, why do you believe that the cloud ERP actually provided them the agility that they would not have, let's say, if they were using on prem ERP or legacy ERP or, mm-hmm. or something else?
0: Yeah. Well, a few reasons. Number, number one is that the cloud ERP, you can scale a lot more easily, right? You don't have, if you're using an on premise kind of ERP, and you want to, you know, you have to accommodate growth, what are you going to do? You're going to have to buy more servers, buy more licenses, install all that, manage that, you know, you're doing some new things, you may be doing something where you need to add some new software, you have to integrate all that. With the cloud ERP, you know, it's, it's simply a question of increasing your subscription, whether that depends on the ERP company, it may be in based on the number of transactions, or maybe on the number of users, however they license, but you're just basically turning up the dial. And the other thing is, I think a lot of the cloud ERP systems are much more modern, and they're much easier to kind of reconfigure. It kind of accelerated the whole curve, in other words, in ERP, because to do things at scale, you need to do them pretty elegantly. And I think a lot of the on-premise stuff is it's kind of clunky and cumbersome.
2: Okay. So tell me with respect to, let's say if I'm designing a new service or new product in this company, which is probably growing. And if I have my cloud ERP and let's say if I need to reconfigure, what am I going to require as a manufacturing executive to go from point A to point B?
0: Yeah, well, I am not a manufacturing ERP consultant, so I'm going to give you <laughs> that caveat right now. I'm a researcher and analyst. So, but I think if if but you, you know, talk you to a lot of
2: manufacturing ERP consultants, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you know if you if you're a manufacturing, you should have a good example for idea. First of all, what are you going to start making, right? What 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 are you going to make now that you weren't making? Yeah, and there's some stuff right on the line with the equipment that you're gonna have to change. And that's totally a manufacturing kind of question. In the ERP system, again, you need to either have somebody on your staff that really knows that system inside and out and how you have it set up today that you can sit down with and you can plan for, well, we're gonna have another product line, we're gonna have these SKUs, we're gonna have all these things. We're gonna have new shipping requirements, new inventory requirements, But it's not like one thing. You have to kind of sit down and work through every single little logistical detail and make sure that you then, and I'm going to use the word program, but you're not really programming it. You're just setting up the system to accommodate that new process and workflow to accommodate that new product line.
2: Okay. So tell me some more stories. And I don't know if you have more stories that you found during your surveys that were really compelling because of COVID, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, there's great stories all over the place on another webinar with a guy that is a, their big beekeeper. And so they, they sell bees, they sell honey, they sell all kinds of honey products and very successful business in their region and very much relied on a lot of in-person foot traffic. And when all this happened, it was like, okay, now what? So they had to set up. They were not really set up for e-commerce. They set up for e-commerce. They set up an online community. Um, They had a great community of customers in their physical world. Um, And they did workshops on site. So they they made a lot of those into virtual workshops. They started like discussion boards. So different people keeping bees, you know, kind of trade and exchange secrets. And their revenue grew over 100%. So they really were able to make the transition. And I think in that case, it really boiled down to the fact that they were able to recreate a great customer experience online. And not only did it keep their existing customers in the fold, it allowed them to go outside of this, you know, region within a state, you know, maybe three or four counties within a state where they have been doing business. They could broaden that out because then somebody could say, oh, well, you know, I have a friend, you know, they, they happen to be in Washington, so I have a friend and he's in, I don't know, Ohio, and he's interested in doing keeping bees. And now this company could suddenly be a company where they couldn't before because they really were not into e-commerce and didn't have all this stuff online. They could be a vendor to this customer in a whole other state. So I think that's a really great example. Well, I guess I could say made honey out of lemons. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So tell me a little bit more about the customer experience. So what all did they change with respect to customer experience and what, let's say manufacturers or the distributors or retailers can take away from this conversation in changing their customer experience?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's a few things. I mean, people, people want to feel like they have a personal touch and a personal interaction, especially within SMB. And So again, listening to the customer and make sure the customer has lots of channels to communicate with you. Some customers may want to communicate via the old-fashioned way, like phone or email. Some may want to use your Facebook page or Instagram or whatever. Some, you know, obviously when they have problems, they want to talk to somebody in customer service. But I think it's really important to be where your customers are, right? And Make sure you are interacting with them the way they, they want to interact with you. Yep. And, and there's certainly a lot of different ways they want to do that.
2: Okay, let's talk about business solutions. So you okay. have been researching business solutions for last 25 years, and you are probably going to be doing this for next five years. So if I were to ask you your entire journey, let's say, let's break it down in five segments that, okay, how the landscape was. 25 years back, 20 years back, 15 years back. Walk me through that, that journey in in super brief.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I can break it into five steps for you, but I can tell you that 25 years ago, most small and medium businesses were using maybe a couple at most of business applications. Maybe they were using accounting and, you know, one or two other things. Why? It was just really hard. They'd have to stand up a system, load the software, manage the software, update the software, et cetera, et cetera. Over the last... Well, it's been almost 25 years when, since cloud first started in the, in the late 1990s is when Salesforce and NetSuite both launched. The cloud has really democratized access to software. So small and medium businesses now use many, many, many business applications because in a lot of cases, and especially on the customer facing applications like CRM and marketing and sales and e-commerce And the collaboration part, email and uh, if you're using Slack or if you're using video conferencing or anything like that, you don't have to run any of that in-house and you're probably not running any of it in-house. So now the small and medium business can really have almost, they can, they can have a completely virtual business with very sophisticated solutions without making a huge investment. And I think that's really the biggest change that the software is there and the access to the software is there via the cloud. So as a small business, you can really run in a sophisticated way as a big business. Now the, the missing link still though, is the business expertise. Because a lot of times in a smaller company, you don't have a marketing expert or a customer service expert, you know, you've you got a handful of people wearing different hats. They know a little bit about a lot of things. So the cloud has solved the problem of getting the software and getting it in a cost-effective way, but they still need expertise. So a lot of times I say, you know, before you invest in a new cloud solution, make sure, first of all, it's easy to use. It's going to fix or help you with whatever you're trying to do. But second of all, spend the little money on getting a consultant that can help you. You know, if it's a marketing solution or a financial solution or whatever. Help you get the most value from it because they know they've done it probably for lots of customers. They know lots of tricks. They're going to keep you from making a lot of mistakes that a lot of other people have made before. And at the end of the day, you're going to say, wow, I'm getting so much value from this as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm it, pulling my hair about out. This thing won't do what I want it to do. So, you know, the software is there. Uh, there's a lot of great solutions for design just for small and medium businesses. And you do want to get a good fit. If you're small, you shouldn't be looking at I don't think custom companies that, you know, their bread and butter is large enterprise. You're just going to get lost in the shuffle. You know, look for the companies that really focus on your kind of size business and your industry and things like that. And you're probably going to end up with a much better fit.
2: Okay, Laurie, this has been insightful. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts by any chance?
0: No, I think we've covered most everything. I, I think just I would sum up by saying, you know, Really tap in, listen to your customers, seeing what's going on around you competitively. Know that you can get what you need to, to help you grow. It's out there, the software's out there for SMBs, but you know, spend a little money to make sure you're you're deploying it in a way that's going to give you the most value at the end.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Laurie. I appreciate you. Thanks. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Laurie, head over to lauriemccabe.com. It's L-A-U-R-I-E-M-C-C-A-B-E.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you, and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Brett Boweft, who discusses whether moving to the cloud guarantees business transformation. Also, the interview with Randy Johnston from K2 Enterprises, who touches on why process documentation is an essential ingredient for an efficient finance organization. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform, or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS
1: Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode.